This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And we're excited later on to talk to Dan Shaughnessy. Sort of a partner in crime for you, Lynchy, over the course of covering <laughs> some of the coolest sporting events uh, in the history of the planet and certainly in the history of Boston. Uh, he's worked for the Boston Globe for a long time. And uh, he and Kurt Schilling exchanged some words this week. We'll get into that uh, in just a few minutes. But First, let's take stock of where we are. I feel like, you know, here we are coming to the end of January. We got the Super Bowl that is set uh, a weekend from now. And the NFL, they're going to, you know, put a season in the books. And yet here we are back with the NBA, the NHL playing. You know, Lynchy, what do you make of where we stand with, with the major sports at this moment? Well, I think that the uh, the National Football League had uh, a very successful year. I think when it, they were the last to jump in, and they're going to make it to the finish line just like uh, college football made it to the finish line with their championship game. They had a little bit of a couple of hiccups to start out the season. But, you know, you haven't really heard an awful lot of uh, COVID after that one time where they had to sort of scramble uh, about four or five teams and do some rescheduling. So the NFL made it work. Um, now the NBA and the NHL, who lived in a bubble uh, in uh, in Edmonton, Toronto, and in Orlando, they're uh, they're they're sort of learning as they go. Uh, they've had the Celtics had three games um, postponed because of COVID. The Spurs had a game uh, earlier this week uh, called off because of COVID, and they're learning as they go. But I think they're they're all getting better. And the same deal with the National Hockey League, baseball. The Arizona Cactus League doesn't want to start on time. Um, they've got some some issues in the state of Arizona. And uh, Florida, it's anything goes. So, but I can't see Florida starting in spring training without um, Arizona starting yeah. at the same time. Yeah, that's a big question mark, Bar. I feel like baseball is our next big question mark. The other leagues are sort of figuring it out. But when you're in it, you sort of can adjust. But that getting started seems to be one of the trickiest things. And as Lynchy said, uh, MLB. Uh, maybe not surprisingly, doesn't quite know what it's going to do yet. Well, not only getting started, but you have to have a schedule to yeah. where you're going to have games that are going to be postponed. And the NBA has been going through this this season, where you, they're going to have to set that schedule up to where uh, it's going to be fair for both teams and fair for the league, and, because you don't want to cancel a game, because right. still, that that's that's going to cause problems. So I'd like to see what baseball is going to do. Here's Leonard really filling it again. Two playmakers here. And a steal. The league leader in steals in Ben Simmons. And he takes the distance. Colbert with the rebound. That's his range. Young from center court. Yes! Trey Young. 
So let's talk about the NBA because, as you mentioned, they've been fairly flexible, uh, as you said, Michael Barr, in terms of their schedule. They essentially have not scheduled the second half. They canceled the All-Star game, but now there are some reports that there could be an All-Star game instead of in mid-February in early March. March 7th is the date uh, that ESPN has reported. It's likely to be in Atlanta, uh, in part because – the arena is a good one. Uh, they have hosted the All-Star Game before, I believe. Uh, there's also a fairly good sports infrastructure there. And notably, Lynchy, Turner Broadcasting is right there at home in Atlanta. So the travel of all the broadcast crews and everything like that, that wouldn't be involved. I do feel like it would give a sense of normalcy and a rhythm to the season if they were able to actually do that all-star break and put on an all-star game, even if it's not a big fancy all-star weekend. Well, that break uh, coming up is March 5th through March 10th. And um, Chris Paul, who's the uh, president of the NBA Players Association, uh, thinks it's a good idea. Will the other athletes who play on the West Coast think it's a good idea to fly into Atlanta, you know, when they have some time off right now to stay at home, um, avoid the risk of being around large crowds? Uh, that, that's my only concern right there. Uh, is everybody in the Players Association going to be on board with this? Now, historically, they've had a great relationship with the league and, mm-hmm. and C- Commissioner Adam Silver. But that's my only reservation here. And, you know, People will gather, even though they say that all the festivities that are around, and, and as you said, great infrastructure in Atlanta. I mean, you've got everything right down there, right not too far from the State Farm Arena. And, you know, will it be a magnet for people to come down? And will it be a good thing as we're trying to, you know, roll out the vaccines and trying to eradicate this uh, COVID-19? Yeah, it'll be interesting, Bar, too, because, you know, you're talking about that in Atlanta. And then shortly after that, uh, I believe, is when you will have a very different looking uh, NCAA March Madness situation all centered in Indianapolis. So, you know, continuing to find new and different ways. It's a hybrid world that we're going to continue to live in, at least for a little while longer. I just wonder if this is the way it's going to be for many years to come, especially the NCAA, Mm. because this is where you're playing basketball in one city. Uh, And of course, Indianapolis, they can handle it. Uh, But I wonder if this is going to be the norm when you get down to the tournament. If other cities are going to say, hey, we're going to host the whole thing, and that will be a big boon for the cities and the financial part of it. Uh, that they can't help but. So I just wonder if this is the way it's going to be going forward. Yeah, just going back to Atlanta for a second, I mean, it, it, it does make me think about that franchise a little bit, the Hawks, which have been very forward-thinking, Uh, about a lot of the issues facing the NBA, not the least of which was making their arena available for voting back last summer and then into the general election and then into the runoff election that ultimately determined uh, what's going on there. So so clearly uh, that ownership group and that management group led by Steve Coonan, uh, who, interestingly enough, you talk about Turner Broadcasting, the president of the Hawks may be worth pointing out uh, used to run Turner Broadcasting, so very tied into all of that infrastructure uh, that you're talking about. It's a small town. You think Boston's a small town? Atlanta's even smaller uh, in some ways, uh, Lynchy. Uh, anyway. Yep. I loved it when I was there for the uh, Super Bowl, the Patriots and the uh, and the Rams. We had a great time down there. The people were unbelievable. And it was really, you know, surprised. I hadn't been there, you know, for about 20 years, how 
it's very accessible walking. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of Indianapolis. You, you can walk everywhere. You don't need a rental car. You don't need an Uber. Um, you can walk anywhere down there. Well, I was going to say they built that that downtown right around the arena, really rebuilt it yeah. and revitalized it uh, in many ways because you have State Farm Arena, Mercedes-Benz right next to it, Centennial Olympic yeah. Park. Uh, lots to do. We should take it, you know, once, once it's all let's go. free and clear. We're taking a road trip, baby. Hey, call, we can get the camper and let's go, man. <laughs> oh, God. And don't Arch forget the college, the, the college Football Hall of Fame. Exactly. Right down the yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There Beautiful. you go. So, guys, when I'm not hanging out with you talking about sports, I'm still thinking about sports uh, and doing some other stuff. <laughs> this week was the annual Year Ahead Conference for Bloomberg, and I got a couple cool assignments, one of which was talking with Katie Ledecky, of course, the wildly decorated, widely celebrated, and rightly so, Olympic swimmer. She was supposed to be in Tokyo last summer, still hoping for Tokyo this summer if the Olympics do proceed. She's certainly training like she is. She swam at Stanford, and so one of the things I talked to her about was college sports and where we may be going from here. I competed two years in the NCAA for Stanford, for the swim team and I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. We won two national championships. It was, uh, Stanford has a really great legacy of uh, national championship swim teams, but it was our first national championship in I think 19 years that we won in, in 2017. So that was really exciting to be a part of. I found so many new friends through college swimming, both on my team and on other college teams. And I don't think I would be the swimmer I am today if it wasn't for that experience and I'm continuing to train with the Stanford collegiate team alongside a couple other professional swimmers but I I loved it and I'm it's hard to see how some colleges are cutting sports and especially swimming in in a couple a couple schools so it's tough and I really hope that college swimming and college athletics can continue to grow and that there can continue to be those opportunities for young athletes to reach for. And so what's your reaction specifically, you know, at Stanford? I mean, they've had to to cut sports there, which I think everybody knowing the rich uh, history there, I mean, 27 Olympic medals, I believe, you know, in the sports, the 11 sports that, that were discontinued. I mean, that must be difficult, even though swimming is, is obviously continuing at Stanford. But it must be difficult to sort of comprehend in, in many ways and, and to see a group and, and a, a school that's been so successful in, in all aspects uh, have to make those sorts of decisions. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to see fellow athletes, student athletes and coaches, uh, all these different people affected by those kinds of decisions. But I realize that those are very difficult decisions that aren't being taken lightly. And I'm sure the athletic directors around the country are heartbroken that they have to do that in, in certain cases. So I'm heartbroken for those athletes affected. And I realize that these are really difficult decisions and a lot of different factors go into play when trying to make those decisions. Do you think we need to rethink certain aspects of college athletics? Again, having lived it, I mean, are there things that we should be thinking about as like mortals, you know, non-college athletes or, you know, just college students and supporters of different universities? Like how, how should we be thinking about this differently in your estimation? I don't know. I mean, there are, there are so many different conversations I think that are happening in terms of amateurism and professionalism with, with collegiate 
athletics and I don't know the answer to it. And, uh, you know, I, I lived through it. I, I there was a lot of speculation of whether I should just go pro right from the start and not go to college or what should I do? Um, but I made the decision I made because I really believed in the value of making those friends, being a part of that team and having that camaraderie and, and really growing in the sport through college athletics. That is five-time Olympic gold medalist Katie Ledecky catching up with me for this week's Year Ahead Conference at Bloomberg. You can find the entire interview online at YouTube and at Bloomberg.com. I will say, guys, one of the things we got into, do you remember, uh, before we talk about college sports a little bit, last summer that video that went viral of her swimming the length of a pool with a glass of milk on her head? Did you guys see that? I did, yeah. yeah. I remember that. That was <laughs> See, that that is what amazes me about swimmers is that and she said something that that made me perk up. She said she was debating if she wanted to go pro. Yeah. And and my first thought was, you know, we need to have a sport where you have teams of swimmers just like you have in the NFL or the NBA. Hmm. I bet you that that would get over yeah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's one of the most popular Olympic sports, wildly uh, heralded. We talked a little bit in the conversation about, you know, the Olympic experience. And as I said, she is preparing like there's going to be uh, a Tokyo Games. But on the subject of, of the milk, uh, Lynchy, you'll love this. <laughs> first take Cut. that they ended up, what went viral? First take. Wow. She swam across, Un- across the pool with a full <laughs> glass of chocolate milk. Anyway, <laughs> got milk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, but, you know, she raises it and, and, you know, that back and forth about college sports. We've talked about it a lot on this show. Yeah, they are endangered in, in many ways. And we've seen incredibly high profile universities, including her alma mater, Stanford, uh, you know, have to make some really tough choices. Something's wrong, Lynchy, if, if that's it, happening. It, it, well, I brought this up on the on the show before. The swimmers, divers, track and field athletes, gymnastics, wrestling, uh, what do you what else? Uh, rowing, volleyball. I'm trying to think. They're all training grounds yeah. for future or potential Olympians. I mean, you can go compete on a club team, but there's nothing like competing against a, a, another c- college athlete. And the best and the best and the best come out of there. And that's where we have. Uh, gotten that's been the pool for our great olympic athletes and not and they're not the basketball players but you know the swimmers and the divers like the katie ledeckis you know who competes at stanford and wins national championships you know i look at, at clemson you know it's at, and then their football facility they've got a barbershop they've got a bowling alley they got a water slide they have miniature golf and they just cut track and field for men and women and eliminate it there, and that's not right. You know, all the yeah. money that Stanford, that, that that places those big five conference schools bring in from their TV contracts, you got to spread the wealth, and you you got to you know cut out the barbershop, cut out the slide and the miniature golf. You don't need that, you know, and and and, and keep the track and field team uh, alive and vibrant. That that just it just seems like unfair, and it seems uh, inequitable. Something's off, Barr, and, and it'll be interesting to see if, if 21 is the year where there's some measure of reform because it, it feels like the NCAA in its current constitution is at a bit of a breaking point. Well, COVID has forced every college and university to look at their bottom line. Uh, and again, of course, obviously, COVID is very serious. But COVID has impacted universities and colleges with students uh, attending in different ways. Now, they'll still have maybe a, a Zoom attendance, but room and board, that has been wiped out for a lot of colleges. I know it's 
it took a hard hit for uh, one of my sons uh, going at his college. He's at home because they've shut it all down yeah. for room and board. So they're going to have to find the way colleges uh, to make more, at least shore up the bottom line. And unfortunately, it comes at the expense, Lynchy, of what you said uh, yeah. of all the sports. It's the non-revenue sports. I mean, and, and that's the issue is that, you, you know, you've just seen this perversion, as it were, of, you know, in my opinion, what college sports were, were meant to be. And yet you have these, and I've talked to a lot of college presidents about this, you know, they are forced to make these decisions, especially around big-time college football, because they are such big revenue generators and sources of donations, not just to the athletic programs, but as sort of a gateway into giving. So the answers aren't easy, but when you hear someone like Katie Ledecky, you know, talk about it, it just reminds you, as you say, Lynchy, that, you know, this funnel that the colleges create to the Olympics, because the Olympics are obviously about national pride. They're also about sort of preparing people to be, you know, successful humans in, in some ways. So in any case, check out that interview with Katie Ledecky. It was a lot of fun to catch up with her for the year ahead. Let's get to our conversation with Boston Globe sports columnist Dan Shaughnessy. Really nice to have you with us. I joked, Dan, as you were uh, getting ready with us, that there's nothing going on in sports. Uh, you've got a lot to write about these days. What's number one on your list in these topsy-turvy COVID times? Well, this has been a, a, a pretty wild week here. Uh, we had Tom Brady advance to the Super Bowl on Sunday. And, of course, you know he made his bones here in a big way. And is, is a, you know folks really follow him. So the Brady story got things rolling on Sunday, and then, of course, the Hall of Fame announcement came out Tuesday night, and, and we knew that Kurt Schilling was going to be close. He didn't make it, and then, of course, he kind of um, delivered this 1,200-word this screed and <laughs> asked to be taken off the ballot and made a lot of noise with that. So, we had yeah, we had a couple of big stories for early in the week and uh, you know, carrying us through the, through the COVID times when you think things would be slow. I'm going to defer my time for a second to Mike Lynch because you guys know each other. And you guys, as as they say in the racing industry, have a helmet full of memories. So I, I, want, to, I want to defer to Lynch and go ahead. Go ahead. I, what is it with this guy, Dan? I mean, he's, he's, he's not going to get in next year. Uh, who does he think he is that he can change the rules that have been around since, what, 1936 uh, with the Baseball Hall of Fame? Yeah, that wasn't well received by anybody because, you know, he offended – He's he's basically really on an island now because he's offended every group and even the like the veterans committee. I got an email from a hall of famer and and they're not having this. They're they're offended that basically they were all voted in by the writers and now Kurt's saying the writers are stooges. So it sort of invalidates them being there. He also buried Bonds and Clements, which nobody generally does. They they just don't do that. You know, he buried the Red Sox ownership. We can't figure out what that's about since they gave him $8 million to not throw a pitch in 2008. Uh, that would be the end of his career, which is what he's referencing there. So, yeah, it was it was all over the map. And I know the, the baseball writers are, are put out that, you know, 71% of, of writers voted for him, and then he insulted all of them. At the same time, he's saying he's not a worthy Hall of Famer. Then why insult people who are agreeing with you and not voting for you? It's uh, – it's just it's it's a mess, and um, I don't believe you know the the hall board will. Hopefully, they'll convene quickly and just say, "Yeah, we're not. He's he's on the ballot. He doesn't get to make those rules." And uh, I mean, no one ever has. And it's it's a little bit. 
I mean, with all due respect, it's a little Trump-like. Like, the, if, if I don't win, it's rigged and it's fixed, and I'll take my ball and go home. And it sets yourself up so that you can't lose. Uh, you know, it's the old, you can't fire me, I quit kind of thing. And, um, you know, one of the Hall of Famers I spoke with said, this is very unlike Kurt because he always wanted the ball in the big game. So what's this about now? I mean, he got to 71% with another year in the ballot. And I think any kind of, I don't know, if he could have just behaved a little bit or maybe, maybe kind of apologized or pulled back on some of these positions uh, that are so offensive to so many people. Um, but there's, there's no evidence of that. I want to talk about happier times with Tom Brady because uh, as a native Detroiter uh, and with the University of Michigan, I saw him when he played in the university at the University of Michigan. Who knew <laughs> where, where he was going to go uh, with his career? It, uh, I, I'm just amazed by this guy, and I have to say it, he is the GOAT. Well, it is. I mean, and you go back to the Michigan days. I mean, he had to fight like hell to get to start the games there. He was uh, Lloyd Carr, yeah. really buried him, and he was always competing with with you know one the next big thing on one side and the other, and and he did emerge, but it, it didn't help him at, at the draft and the combine. He was a sixth rounder and 199th pick, and we didn't. I, I mean, I don't know about Mike, but we didn't pay much attention to the fourth string quarterback the year he was here in, in 2000. <laughs> And then Bledsoe gets hurt, and the rest is history. And he certainly has has run with that. And what he's doing at 43 is amazing. And and it really it really gives the NFL and and the fans what they're looking for for the Super Bowl to have, as you say, the greatest of all time. And then the the greatest now, Patrick Mahomes, with the defending Super Bowl champion. So it could not have worked out better for the league. Well, that's what I, exactly what I was going to say, Dan, is that if you're looking at this from a business perspective, from a ratings perspective, obviously got a lot of people captive in, in their homes. They're going to be watching the Super Bowl. But, I mean, this is, this is very good for the business of football. Oh, my God. They are, they're really lucky. I mean, it's, they're, they're just blessed. And through this, this, this horrible COVID time we're going through, if you remember, they, they were the last sport to play its season untouched by it. I mean, they had just finished their Super Bowl uh, last February, and not a word was being said in America about about the virus, and and it all came down in March when and the NFL had six months to figure it out, and they went through all of their normal things: the draft, the free agent signing period. Um, they didn't have a preseason, but who cares? Everybody likes, everybody hates the preseason, so right. it and and you know they managed to get all their games in, and uh, and and they now they've they've managed to get to the Super Bowl, and. It's it's the NFL is television programming and they're really good at it and they've been able to keep this going. So uh, unlike the other three sports, uh, it really hasn't affected them very much. Dan, you know, I want to ask you. It's such a treat to talk to you in part because and and Lynchy will back this up. You're a legend in the business in many ways, but you've seen so many changes in the business, not just of journalism and sports and commentary. What's it like now for you, you know, having written, having spilled so much ink uh, over the years, what's the biggest thing that's changed in the way that you do your business or, or the business at large of talking about sports? Well, I mean, we're talking to one another in the middle of a pandemic here, so I, I don't know whether we're talking about that or, or, or before that, but there had been a lot of evolution and change, and, you know, the Internet bringing that on and, and you know, newspapers being just far less relevant and, and no longer having the platform that they once had. And, you know, we've all tried to evolve with that. But, of course, in the last year, we've just seen a situation where there's no access and yeah. where, you know, the only way you talk to anybody is on Zoom press conferences, which is 
the ultimate non-disclosure. It's like it's like covering the Pentagon or the White House, where everybody's getting the same information. You don't have any interpersonal interactions. You don't stand around anybody's locker, work the room, develop sources, and learn things that no one else knows. And this has come up repeatedly in the course of the year, where you know things things go without anyone knowing. And you know there was a game. You know the Philadelphia Eagles basically tried to lose a football game, you know, late in the season uh, to improve their draft pick. And it took days before that bled out because ordinarily it would be in the locker room afterwards and players would be grousing about it and saying, you know, the coach buried us and we, we have no respect for him and all that. Well, the coach ended up getting fired within a week, but it took a while because there's just no one there. There's no eyeballs and ears in the room to tell you what's happening in the moment. And uh, you're not going to get that on Zoom. So, Again, I'm not complaining. This is necessary now, but I, I, I doubt we'll ever get back to anything resembling the access that we once had. Mm. I mean, it has been eroding organically for the last 40 years, and Mike knows that better than anybody. But in the last year, it's altogether gone, and, and, and I think that teams will use this moving forward when, when we get to the new normal to say that you know, we don't need to have all these people around all the time. You've been with the Globe for almost 40 years, and one of your crowning moments was when you wrote a book with – Terry Francona, who at the time was a manager of the Red Sox, and that's what your book focused on, and it became immediately a bestseller. Can you talk about that? Well, thank you. That was, you know, I was fortunate on that. Terry got fired in 2011 after eight years here, and Mike knows I, I, we were all around for all those years, and they won, you know, they broke the curse of the Bambino and won the World Series first time since 86 years and, and just had this tremendous success. And it didn't end well, and, you know, Terry Francona was not a big fan of mine during those eight years. He was always calling me into the woodshed and whatnot, and that's fine. But he didn't hold a grudge. And when he got fired, I emailed him and said, "Hey, you should you should do a book, you know, and and I could I could help you with that." And he said, "No, and not with you." And uh, <laughs> but we you know we we eventually then he got mad at the Red Sox owners because they sort of did him dirty on the way out the door. And I think he decided I'd be a good author to make them nervous. And we worked together. And it was a magical partnership. And I have a tremendous respect for the guy and have enjoyed the success he's had. I mean, he'll be in the Hall of Fame someday as a big league manager. Dan, are you glad you're on this end of, uh, of of the business as opposed to being a 22-year-old coming out of Holy Cross uh, and, and trying to get into it? Yeah, I, 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 I am, Mike. I mean, I, I know that you, know, you and I, I, I'd like to say we got to do it when it was the most fun. And, and I have great memories, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of all the work, and I've, I've enjoyed it. And I enjoyed going around the country and developing relationships, and I miss that. And I know you do, too, and it's just it's different. And, again, we evolve, and we don't complain. If we're healthy and have jobs, we, we don't complain. So, But, yeah, I mean, I, I have no wish to be young again starting out in this business. It's just it's not as much fun. Uh, it, I find the the and again this always sounds like the old get off my lawn guy, but the people getting into it now we're getting far more fans who are rooting for the teams rather than than journalists who are trying to tell the consumers the story, and everyone's afraid to ruffle feathers and nobody wants any trouble and that's never been the way I've gone about it. So it, it again it's it's somewhat isolating and and a little bit. I don't know. It just it just makes you wonder why is nobody questioning this? The Red Sox aren't trying. Why aren't you calling them on that? And um, so anyway, it's 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 a lo- lot more lonely than it used to be. And you know, Dan, it sort of leads me to to the to the next point. You know, you're talking about the Red Sox, and and you 
you have all these storied teams in Boston. We bust Lynch's chops all the time. We were busting his chops yesterday about, you know, it's like, hey, look at Tampa, the new title town. You got Tom Brady down there. You got, you know, a great hockey team, great baseball team, all of that. And yet, we can never. And I say this, you know, God forbid, as an Atlanta fan, and and even if anybody ever has 28-3 and three in any proximity yeah. to each other, I have a real, really hard time. Um, and yet you have to tip your cap to Boston as a sort of cultural economic center when it comes when it comes to sports and and I know you and Lynchy have have seen this up close and personal what is it about Boston that has created that sort of milieu as it were well i mean we're patting ourselves on the back all the time there's no question about that i mean we you know we know that you know we're we're fortunate to be in a region with a lot of really smart fans readers watchers listeners and they care, and uh, and they and they they follow their teams, and they're passionate. And you've got the history, you've got the colleges here. You know, okay, our weather's not the greatest, but we like the changes, and we have all that. And then we had this surge of success, the high renaissance of teams in the 20th century, 21st century, where we had you know 12 championship teams, all four teams, one within the span of six years and four months in one stretch. It's just been amazing success. So compound that and you know a, a, a tremendous cradle of, of of great writing and and broadcasts and and it's just it's part of the culture here and you may not care about the teams or follow them but you cannot escape it it's it's if you live here my wife has no interest in sports but she knows when the patriots are playing because that's when she'll go to the store because there won't be anybody there right. <laughs> <laughs> very good what, what? I, i'm a i'm a native detroiter and i lived and worked there for years so i any detroit team i'm big on the detroit tigers when they played at uh, Fenway, and Cecil Fielder blew it over the monster, yeah. and and I and I remember the shot of Sparky Anderson, and he had this look on his face like, "Holy sweet merciful! I have never seen anything like that in the coming on." In all the years you have covered all the sports there for the Boston Globe, what memory stands out in your mind? Well, I'm going to say out of the gate, I love Detroit and I love uh, all the all the culture of their teams. I know the Lions; it's, it's been a, a, a tough slog there, but I even like the Lions on Thanksgiving. It's part of Americana. I love that, and I, I root for their teams. And you know, my wife's from Michigan, and um, you know, we're we're I've just always enjoyed. It. They have great fans and the whole deal. Here, we've just been blessed. Like I said, all that success. I think that in my lifetime. Outside of when Mike Lynch kicked the field goal to beat Yale, <laughs> I think probably the Red Sox winning the World Series in '04, just because that was a biblical kind of story that you know, 86 years and and the the long slog getting to it and all the near misses, all at the expense of the Yankees. You know, Bucky Dent, Bill Buckner, Aaron Boone, all the stuff that happened, um, and always with New York. So that kind of um, it, the games themselves weren't the greatest at the end when they swept the. Cardinals and even the last two against the Yanks, but the the, the totality of, of, of the build-up to that and coming back from an 0-3 deficit to beat the Yankees, to me, that's the greatest story I ever worked on. But there were things, I mean, the Patriots' first Super Bowl in New Orleans when, like, 24-year-old Tom Brady stunned the 17-point favored Rams, that was, like, tremendous. The Patriots had never won anything. So to, to see that, to be a witness to that, and, and just to be, you know, the Celtics-Lakers, the Larry Bird magic era, I mean, Mike knows, you go back to those years, we'd go back and forth to L.A. like six times during the playoffs, and, and there was the height of the NBA, interest in the NBA, and the way the game was played. 
all these stars, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Bird, Mikhail Parrish. It was high times. And again, we were there. We, were, we could hear it. We were so close. We were really part of it. I'm actually working on a book on my, my days covering the, the 80s Celtics because mm. of that access. We talked about it. it was so much fun, and it was so vivid. And, and you know, again, we do sound like the old guys reminiscing about how great it was, <laughs> but it really was. It's true. It was, and we had great access. And as I told these guys, and Dan knows, I actually refereed Celtics practices with uh, with Kenny Hudson. And you know, I, afterwards, my cameraman would come in, and I'd have a striped shirt on, and just do the interviews. That would never, ever, ever happen today. We wouldn't even be allowed to be in the building. Um, Dan, I want to just get back to Kraft and Belichick right now. What's going through their minds right now? When when things are good, you 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 can't get enough of Robert Kraft. When things are bad, you know he's in the witness protection program. They've got to come back and do something. I know Deshaun Watson said he wanted to be traded. Uh, how do you think they're going to react to this whole thing, especially if Tom actually wins this thing on uh, on February seventh? Right. I mean, you know, there's been there's a you know embarrassment attached to that. I think what the the, the fair thing to to hammer them on is that there was no plan, there was no succession. They didn't have anything figured out. You know, we all thought Stidham must be the guy. That's why they're so cavalier. But he wasn't the guy. They wouldn't even use him at the end at gunpoint when there was no reason to play anyone else because the playoffs were out of sight. And Cam Newton was not the solution because they came to that very late at low dough everybody else had passed on him and it turned out he couldn't throw so there was no plan and and that they they deserve to get hammered on that i mean the brady thing i understand you know it was a long time 20 years and and uh, that you know, bill didn't want to commit to multiple years and didn't want to let him coach and gm the team the way he gets to in tampa i mean i get those things but it has just blown up in their faces in a big way you know almost like the red sox trading mookie betts and then he wins the world series which we kind of knew was going to happen in which they richly deserve so yeah and i can't be fun for bill to pick up the boston herald and and you know tom brady seniors telling karen gregan that bill must be on the hot seat up there and that sort of stuff's got to sort of chafe them and uh bob Kraft, he always wants to be on the side that's winning and he'll just you know pander to whatever side that is but yeah he's he's in the bunker now but yeah there's a little bit of pressure on them for the first time in a long time to um to to do better to have a more talented roster to spend money and to have a quarterback there's just no way that the quarterback of the patriots is here right now it's got to be somebody we don't know about it is an amazing era too and then i'm gonna turn it over to Barr to do the number of the week he's you know my weekly torture i don't know what i did in a past life uh dan to deserve this but you'll see in a second i'm looking forward to it yeah um but uh you know when you think about like even the business of quarterbacking and and we're about to see just a remarkable year and off season it feels like and and obviously Brady still looms large but we could see one of the biggest reconstitutions of the quarterback position across the league it feels like that we've seen in a long time well, that's one of the exciting things about for Patriot fans. I mean, you're coming off this kind of dreadful five and you know, seven and nine season out of the playoffs, but but yeah, with all the bodies flying around out there, it, you know, I mean, obviously Matthew Stafford's out there, and Deshaun Watson could be coming to the division, and and there's there's some guys in the draft that are certainly worth looking at. They're not going to be anywhere near the top guy, but at 15, they could get somebody there. You know, you could have Andy Dalton here. There's just you could go. Jimmy Garoppolo could come back. I mean, yeah, the possibilities are endless. Jacoby Brissett, we could go all day. So there's some excitement attached to that. And it's really, you know, it's on them to, to do something proactive, to be aggressive, and to uh, to have a real quarterback and a, and a real plan going into this year. 
What's the big? So before we get to see, now I'm just putting off number of the week. But what do you think is the is the biggest sports story for for 21 as you as you look ahead? Obviously, the pandemic will continue to, you know, sort of pervade everything. But what's the story you're looking at uh, most closely? Without tipping well, your hand too much. I mean, locally. Yeah. Well, I think in our in our region, I mean, their best hope is is what the Celtics can do in the playoffs. Yeah. And then and then what the what the Patriots are going to do about the quarterback position, but that's that's far off. And there's not a lot of optimism for the Red Sox or Patriots, the two primary teams to compete in the playoffs. So, so there's been the you know conference finals three of the last four years and good young players. So that could be something that could take take a, a foothold here in the spring. But you know the baseball and football, they got some work to do. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Matt Stafford, he's selling his mansion oh, in Oakland God. County. Oh, no. <laughs> Six point five million dollars. <laughs> That's not the question. That's called a psych out. See, Dan Lynch, he always try to get in my head because he knows I love questions like that, and he would have done his homework for that. That's not my question. I just wanted to throw a little fact out there for everybody to know. Uh, Tom Brady reaches the Super Bowl. Steph Curry's career three points percentage. Which percentage is higher? It's braiding. Uh, it's braiding. 14 out of 20 is 67%. Yeah. Dan, you're I don't guess. know what you the number is, first? but it, yeah. Well, I mean, so Brady's gotten to the Super Bowl. This is the 10th, 10th time in 21 years. Right. And then the, the Curry number is so 10 for 21 versus Curry. Is it one game or overall? His career. Oh, his career. Career three. Oh, three. oh. Well, then, then Brady. Brady's higher. Uh, so it'd have to be just a tad under fifty percent three point land. That'd be pretty yeah. good. Uh, I'm gonna go Steph Curry. I'm going Brady. Well, Dan, Jason, you're right. Oh, my God. Thank God. Tom Brady. <laughs> uh, Tom Brady reaching to see – if you, you know the basic facts, like you said earlier, t- this is the 10th Super Bowl he's reaching, 21 seasons as a pro, 47.6%. Steph Curry's three-point percentage in his career, 43.6%. That's unbelievable. It's close. It's close. It is close. It is close. close. That's see, actually I thought closer it was- than I thought. I thought it was a trick question with two Boston guys here who's going to dangle it and just you know, <laughs> take, 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 take the bait on the, on, on the yeah. Brady thing yeah. without even yeah. thinking about it. Oh, man. Hey, Lynch, you I, were wrong for the first time in a while. I, I took one for the team. I took one yeah. for the team. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You're, I'm going to tell big... everybody that I was right and Lynch, was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's the real takeaway from this interview. It's like, I mean, listen, I'm not saying it's a competition, but, well, you know, who's to say? Hey, Dan, thank you so much for doing this. We were really looking forward to it uh, all week. So thank you for spending some time. And as you said, an, an eventful week, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens next. And, and it sounds like everybody in New England, based on what Lynchy has said, Still rooting for Tom Brady in the uh, Super Bowl here. Yep, I think that's true. Enjoyed it, fellas. Thank you. So that was a lot of fun. I have to say, I was really looking forward to this, as I said to, <laughs> to Dan there. I mean, listen, and we know it from you, Lynchy, but to be a sports reporter in the city of Boston 
in the 80s, 90s, and into the 2000s, it's got to be one of the coolest jobs in the world. It, you know, it's awesome. And I remember every year, you know, we try, try to plan a family vacation. They said, well, we can't go in the spring because the Celtics are going to be in the playoffs. We can't right. go in January because, you know, the Red Sox are going to, uh, I mean, the Patriots are going to be in the Super Bowl. And then we had all, we had all these, uh, other than the, you know, in addition to the four teams, uh, and, and it, they did win 12 championships, but they also went to a number of other finals and lost. I mean, the yeah. Bruins lost yeah. in the finals twice. The Celtics lost. The Patriots lost three Super Bowls. So we actually went to the ultimate game. Um, more than uh, uh, than the twelve championships we won, and then we had all these ancillary stories like Doug Flutie. We had Marvin yeah. Hagler, the uh, the middleweight champion of the world, the Boston Marathon going on every year, and we had Nancy Kerrigan getting clubbed in the uh, in the knee with the pipe. Uh, well, in Detroit of all places, yeah, uh, Michael Barr, yeah. remember that? Oh yeah. And uh, so you know this this there has never been a day where um, you guys are news guys, where I walked into the sports office and said, how are we going to fill the sportscast today? Right. It's always like, how are we going to fit this all in today? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was great. And he is, uh, as we said, he's a legend and well-read and yeah. pulls no punches. Uh, and no. If, no. And, if you have any, no. and if you have any question about that, just ask Kurt Schilling uh, this week. <laughs> so uh, good to get uh, a very timely conversation with Dan. So really psyched he was able to join us. Well, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports we're here each and every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. Find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Barr Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.